If I asked you the question this, are you living well, how would you answer that question? Now, some of you will look at what you own, what you drive, your relatively good health, the fact that you have a steady income, and you may respond, well, yeah, I think I'm living well. But if you lost all that, if you lost all that tomorrow, would you still say you are living well? Sometimes our definition of living well gets attached to all that external stuff. Some of you may see living well as a level that only certain folks may be able to reach the really outstanding, the great leaders, the ones with charismatic personalities, the ones that exude confidence and seem to succeed at whatever they do. You see living well as something other folks may experience, but just not you. And then some of you may say, well, define living well, which I could. I could probably take a stab at it, but see, that would be out of my own experience. It would be somewhat biased, out of my own values and beliefs. So what may be living well for me may not necessarily resonate with you. But yet I feel there is this way that we can live or that can be lived, that can be described as living well. And maybe we are seeking for it and we don't even know it. Maybe that's why we long to set goals or have resolutions or to find meaning in our life and to attach our meaning and our identity to things because we are figuring out a way to try to live well. At the end of last year, the the adult class that I meet with in the fellowship hall, uh, we read a book entitled Invitations of Jesus written by a pastor in South Africa, Trevor Hudson. By the way, he actually visited Deep River Friends here a few years ago. He was speaking in Thomasville. And um, he wanted to walk through an actual visit, or actual true Quaker meeting. So I brought him here, and he just loved the place. And every time I communicate with him on email or Twitter, he always responds to me as his Quaker friend. Well, in his book, he writes this. I've worked in a small rural town in the South African city of Johannesburg and in the soggy suburbs of large, sprawling residential areas. And in each of these settings, I learned that deep in the heart of every human being is this question, how do I live well? While these specific words are seldom used, the question is written in the emptiness of our daily life. It's written in our boredom, in our despair, our depression, our experimentation with drugs, our addictions, our compulsions, and all the wreckage of human life that surrounds us. In all of these areas, we hear the haunting question, How do I live well? And then he goes on to offer a bit of his own self-reflection. How do I live well? I too ask this question. How do I live freely and joyfully? How do I relate to those close to me? How do I respond to those who disagree with me? How do I love others? How do I contribute to the common good? And how do I live with privilege in a country or a world characterized by inequality? That's his wrestling with that question. How would you wrestle with it? How would you answer it? Now, it seemed if we want to know how to live well, it would be helpful to have an example of living well. And I would say that for me, and I believe, and this is my own belief for all of humanity, the best example we have to live well is the life of Jesus, the one who truly knew how to live well. Now, you probably think, well, of course you'd say that. You're paid to say that. What else would you say? Well, fair enough. I'll give you that. But here's a challenge. 
If you need to find out for yourself, do so. Explore for yourself the life of Jesus. Read the Gospels. Listen to his life in what you read. And ask yourself, is there a better example in the world than Jesus on how to live well? And if so, my recommendation would be that you follow that person, whoever it is. I have a hunch. You're not going to find it. Now, put that down as a challenge. Because for me, the best example of living well is the life of Jesus. And for my own journey, Jesus isn't the one who just came to forgive me of my failures and mistakes and then promised me this place in eternity, which is important. But Jesus is also the one who came to show me the way on how to live in a relationship with God. The way and how to live in a way that sometimes involves serving, sometimes suffering, sometimes sacrifice, sometimes celebration and rest, and other times in conflict with people. But in all those moments, the life of Jesus has a way about it that shows me the way to live and how to live well. Again, I'll mention Trevor, what he has to say. It's not so, matter of much, it's not so much a matter of asking what would Jesus do, It's about following Jesus, getting to know him, letting his teaching influence our life. And when we follow Jesus in this way, we are transformed inwardly. We receive new ways of listening and new ways of seeing. You read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Jesus gets really practical in that stuff on how to live well. He talks about anger. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about loving our enemies. He talks about how to pray in such a way that when you pray, don't go around praying in such a way that people see you praying. Pray in your closet. Pray privately. In other words, Jesus really does show us how to live well, not only by what he teaches, but how he lives. And when I think about how to take this journey, I think the first step for me, and I invite us to think about this, is a willingness to take an inward journey. A journey in which we open ourselves up to what is going on inside of us, to the issues that truly drive us. You know, a lot of times we are driven by issues that we don't even know about. We're driven by woundedness. We're driven by hurt. We're driven by pain. We're driven by some inner compulsions that we're not even aware of because we get, as one person says, so crazy busy, we sort of numb that stuff out. And when we numb it out, we don't have to pay attention to it. But it drives us. And so one of the ways of beginning to think about how to live well is to pay attention to it. One of my favorite writers is a little lady called Joanne Chisiter, who is a monk. Not a monk, but a nun. I guess that would be a female monk, but she's a nun. But here's what she writes. Clearly, the key to living well is not so much what's outside of us, but what's inside of us. It is what is deepest within us, not what is most vexing around us, that determines the quality of our life. That's why we have to fill ourselves with thoughts that give substance to our relationships, perspective to our memories, and wisdom to our daily decisions, and spirit to our hearts. You see, when I'm not living well, and I'm speaking about me, I'll often find someone or something to blame for my not living well. And that That's as old as the Garden of Eden. That's what Adam and Eve did. It's what we do. It's a defense. But the more I look at someone else or something to blame, the less I grow and the less I expand my capacity to live well. Now listen to what my friend the nun says, and here's how she puts it. 
everything that's in the heart, we either put there or we allow to nest there. We are responsible for the content of our souls. Everything that's in our heart, we either put there or we allow to nest there. We are responsible for the content of our souls. In other words, am I willing to take a look at what's inside of me? What drives me? What pulls me? What yanks me around? Where my compulsions come from? Am I willing to take this inward journey to explore in the company of Jesus and ask the question, how can I live well and what can Jesus show me? When I think of Jesus, the second step for me is to pay attention to the life of Jesus and practice what he practiced. In other words, what did Jesus do and how did he live in order to position his life in such a way that he lived well? You know, when I look at his life, I think about some things that I, I pay attention to. He had a solid center, a solid core. He built his life around the kingdom of God, this gracious rule and reign of God. Jesus' internal operating system was that of the rule of God in all of his life. He had this solid core, this solid center of who he was. He took time to get away from the noise, the crowds, and activity, and listen to God and rest and sort of seek space for his soul. He practiced unconditional love and acceptance, especially for those that experienced rejection and exclusion. He offered authentic compassion empathy and presence. He truly valued people and understood the value of relationships. Now that alone will invite a person to live well. Simply to value people because they are people created in the image of God. And he always sought to keep the trajectory of his life in alignment with God's will and God's way. Even when he wasn't sure he could follow through. Now you're thinking, but this is Jesus. What do you mean by that? We'll go back to the end of Jesus' life, near the end. Do you remember what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, if there's another way, then I'm open. But God ultimately what? Not my will, but your will be done. He surrendered to it, and he found that in that surrender, a joy that could not be matched by anything else. And that's, I think, the paradox of living well. Sometimes we think living well means I need to be in complete control of my life. Where when we read the Gospels, for Jesus, living well was what? To completely surrender his life to the one who owns his life, that is God. Trusting that God will care and provide and give us everything that we need and desire to make it through and to experience joy. That's why I would invite you to look at the life of Jesus. Don't just talk about Jesus. Don't just hear about Jesus, but immerse yourself in his life and look at his life as a life lived well. And the final thing I would just add is this, the third step, simply to offer up our life's journey to the leading, the shaping, the forming, and directing of the living Christ. This is why I had Hannah read those passages earlier on. These are passages simply of a man named Paul who never met Jesus. He literally never met Jesus in the flesh. But he experienced Jesus in his heart and in his soul in a very profound, life-transforming way. And if there is any word that I could take 
and just simply say for Paul's life, when his life was transformed by Christ, this became the hallmark of his life. Actually, three words, but one word. It was this, love. Paul, in that transformation, found that ultimately he had a love for people, for God, for others that he could not have got anywhere else. And then, of course, faith and hope. But one of the things I take away from that is this, that Christ can reveal himself to us directly in such a way that it can transform who we are, change who we are, make us better people, if you want to use that language, help us to live well, and part of living well is simply deepening our love for one another, for the world around us, and for God. When we simply do that, how transformational that will be. There's a prayer in your bulletin. Prayer for the new year. Let me just read this, and then we'll take a few moments of reflection before we sing our final hymn. I'll read it. You can follow along. And so, God, as this new year dawns, let us not be blinded by the world's darkness or consumed by a paralyzing fear. And let us remember from darkness you bring forth light. And out of winter's death you give birth to life. And let us remember that which is dormant will spring to life. That which is pruned will sprout new strength. Let us remember you are the light that gives us sight. You are the breath that gives us life. And you are the water that quenches our thirst. And God, as this new year dawns, let us give birth to what honors you. Let us give life to what makes your goodness shine. Let us give growth to your emerging eternal world. And in the depths of our hearts we cry, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.